As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is Action and Ambition, the show that takes you all over the world to share interviews with the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their backstory, get the most important lessons they've learned on their road to success, and hear exclusive tips on how to implement their success in your own life. Action and Ambition is brought to you by Entrepreneur Magazine and your host, Andrew Metal. Elliot, what's up, brother? Thanks so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Excited to chat about all things fintech. So uh, for those that don't know, can you give a quick little elevator pitch of who you are and what you're about? Yeah, sure. So uh, no, thanks for having me. Excited to uh, chat today. So uh, Elliot Buchanan, I'm the co-founder uh, of Plastic, which is a uh, payments platform founded oh, almost seven years ago now that serves consumers and small businesses, basically allows you to use a credit card for anything where you can't typically use your credit card. So think of rent, tuition, taxes, suppliers, anything where you know payments are still made in cash, we let you use credit card and get points and float and pay conveniently. That's awesome. How did you get into the space? Um, and the space is such, there's so, I love FinTech. I think there's so much opportunity, especially now so much, so much is evolving, advancing from where we were even five years ago to 10. It's crazy, but yeah, I'd love to hear how you got into it. Yeah, no, it seems like everyone's a, a fintech nowadays, um, yeah. <laughs> so to speak. So, uh, which is uh, an interesting trend. But um, how did I get into it? Honestly, um, you know, I'd say I, I didn't, admittedly, I didn't choose fintech or payments. I really chose a problem that I found interesting. It so happened that it was in, in financial services. So um, to double click on that, I, came, I grew up in Canada, came to the U.S. for school. And one of my uh, uh, problems, if you will, was I had no credit score. So if you're new to the U.S., you don't have a credit score. And one way to establish your credit score is to take out basically a, a credit card, a, a secured credit card. So you, you literally front a little bit of cash and then a bank will give you a, a credit card just to establish your score. And so that's what I did as a student. This is almost 10 years ago, just under now. And um, my largest payment of my life at the time was my tuition payment. And so naturally I went to try and pay um, uh, using a credit card and, you know, it's not like it was a new technology credit cards have been around 60 years, like 20% of the world's GDP runs on them. It works really well. So I was surprised, of course, when I was told I couldn't pay that way. And that um, was really, I call it the light bulb moment that set off really the problem statement that, that seeded plastic. And naturally then I got really excited about sort of innovating within financial services. But it started with my own pain point as a consumer, simply trying to do a behavior that I thought um, was convenient and easy. And I was told I couldn't do it. 
And I think that's the best way to start a business. It's hard when you're going into a space and you're like, oh, I have this idea. I think somebody wants this problem solved. It seems like this industry is growing. I don't know it that well. But if you're dealing with a, a specific pain problem that you're dealing with on a daily basis, you intimately know it. It's something that you're experiencing. More than likely, you're not the only one experiencing it. I feel like that's such a, a such a more effective way and approach to, to creating a business. Um, have you kind of noticed that because of that inception point that it's kind of helped you to, to understand the market and the consumers that you're targeting a little bit better? Yeah, no, I, I yes, overall, I agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, other entrepreneurs or other uh, folks have asked me like, oh, you know, how the company started? Like, did you sit in a room with a whiteboard with some smart people? And that's, that's, that, that maybe can work. But in my experience, like what you said, most companies are started um, thematically similar to how mine, how, how plastic started, which is, um, they, you know, they start as a simple problem. The other thing that's worth clicking on is like people assume that the company day one is kind of the same as it is now, meaning the vision has been the same. You know, the moment I had that problem, I knew that there was potentially this, this, you know, this larger opportunity. And that's also false. Um, you kind of just start with a simple problem that you can relate to. And o- over the years, the, the, you know, yes, we have remained within the same ecosystem of FinTech, but the, the, the vision and the, the number of products that we built and sell has evolved just because you constantly learn and, and the customers tell you new problems. And that's kind of how the vision evolved. So it'd be, in most cases, I, I think it'd be, rem- I'd be remiss not to say like that the company has changed dramatically over the years. Um, uh, simply by way of, you know, being close to the customer and innovating from there. Right. So, and I agree. And I think that's a good point. Um, I started my, my career in high school. And what I did was I started selling merchant services and selling terminals. Um, And this is basically for those that don't know the credit card machines that you see at, you know, the supermarket or wherever, where you, you run your, your card through and you pay for an item. Um, that was, you know, in the two, the early two thousands. Right. Um, so the, the industry in one regard is still so outdated and so legacy heavy. Um, I think if anyone has tried to get into the space, you realize all the different obstacles, the bureaucracy, the way the, the, the industry structured. Um, can you, talk a little bit just because you've been in the space about some of those nuances and the obstacles and things that you've experienced. Um, maybe even share like, you know, what a, a, an MSP is and how that works and, and who owns what and how you can actually get reduced merchant fees. And, and some of that stuff I think is, is important to understand the context because we'll get into your business and, and, and a little bit more about that. But I think that sets the stage. Yeah, sure. No, I mean, I think, um, a few things. One, and this is maybe true in other industries, but it's not true in most in most industries. Which is in financial services, um, a lot of the companies that I've seen that are uh, uh, you know that are successful, if you will, um, based on whatever metric, financially or otherwise, um, they're often um, complements to the incumbents versus replacements. So compare and contrast um, transportation industry, right? Taking taxis, a lot of pain points there that most people would not argue with and hence it was a pain, you know, there needed to be disruption to replace the incumbent uh, or incumbent sort of uh, uh, way of, 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 of living there. But in payments, actually 
you think of the stripes or the squares of the world or most most successful fintechs, they're not they're not trying to replace the incumbents. They're simply an extension of uh, when I say incumbents here, I mean primarily you know the networks, Visa, Mastercard, or even the the, the banks themselves that issue cards, Chase, Citi, B of A, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Really, in fintech, you therefore to be successful have to get along and you have to play nice with these incumbents. And so you mentioned, you know, like any industry, there is a lot of bureaucracy and red tape just based on partnering with large organizations. Um, and I think it's, but it's even, I mean, it can work in your favor in that once you're, once you're, once you're partnered with these, these, um, uh, these incumbents, they actually help grow your business versus try to, you know, uh, uh, go to war with you, but to get them even there, the bar for credibility and trust is very high. And unlike other industries, most consumers actually don't feel that there's as much of a, a problem or a pain point compared to like, oh yeah, I want, I want a ride on demand that like everyone agrees with that versus a taxi versus do people think that swiping a Visa or MasterCard credit card is really difficult or inconvenient? Absolutely not. It's the opposite. People love using it. It works basically perfectly fine. If anything goes wrong, you get your money back. It's actually a really brilliant sticky product, which is why it's been around 60 years and 20% of the world's economy runs on it. So Therefore, you have to take a different mentality as a startup CEO, especially first-time founder in fintech, which is you have to partner and be friendly versus try to just be that usual disruptive CEO. That's what I have found in financial services, broadly speaking. Yeah, that's really good insight. I don't know if I looked at it in that lens, but it makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, talk to me about the company and how you guys are solving this problem because it, it's obviously a big problem. Yeah. Um, you experienced it intimately. I'm sure tons of people have the problem, uh, you know, not being able to pay for, you know, I don't, mortgage, rent, whatever it is on a credit card. And I think it's, it's a unique issue. Um, I feel like so many people have had the problem, but I don't know of anybody else trying to solve the problem, which makes me kind of skeptical. Is it, is it, you know, or you just have a, you know, a phenomenal business model and idea that is going to just, you know, provide a lot of value to a lot of people. So curious yeah. which one it is <laughs> well it's probably a bit of both in that and in, in yeah, like businesses, sure. it, it comes down to timing right like right. Um, I, I don't think we are the first to try and or certainly not the first to observe our problem which i'll describe in a second um and therefore we're not certainly in my in my experience perspective we're not the first to try and solve it but sometimes being first is actually not not always the best time so we can go into that and what i mean there but the problem is i think there's two problems and they're related here one uh, um is uh, consumers, and when I say consumers, I also mean, because we'll talk about small business owners, anyone with a credit card who uses it every day, um, people that have credit cards want to use them. It's, it's consumers preferred form of payment over cash. Now that has not always been true, but it's now more true than ever before. People want to, people want to use credit card. Great. However, um, credit card to, to, you meant to accept credit card costs money, right? So merchants who, you know, like everyday merchants that you and I shop at, you know, retailers or restaurants or grocery or gas everyday spend. Um, you know, we always can use credit cards. It's not really, there's not really a second guess there. Um, and that's because those merchants um, uh, really, if you will, they, they want to make sure that there's an easy way for us to pay because if it's not easy for you and I to shop, you know, online or buy that, buy the item that we want, we can take our business elsewhere. So in that sense, the merchant is really trying to earn every bit of our business as possible. So they want to reduce any, any sense that you and I have any friction, if you will, when, when we're checking out, if you will. And so that argument, though, breaks down entirely uh, in what I'll call large cap, what I'll call captive audience markets, which happens to be invoice bill payment. And so as an example, taxes. Okay, um, you know, if you don't pay your taxes, well, it's actually illegal. And so no one's ever not paid taxes because you can't use your MasterCard. Or, you know, my tuition example, 
was it frustrating that I couldn't pay the way I wanted on my credit card? And I went, yes. Am I going to drop out of Harvard because I don't take visa? No. Am I going to, you know, not choose where I want to live or, or rent a place that I can rent because it has rent control or it's pet friendly and all these other factors that are important to me. And yes, I'd prefer to use credit, but if I'm told I can't, I'm not going to switch apartments. And so captive audience markets, there's no incentive for the merchant to eat the fees that is typically associated with three, 4% for credit cards. And therefore for the longest time for decades, while everyday spend, like I mentioned, has slowly gone to near 100% acceptance, meaning you and I can spend using credit cards almost everywhere for typical small purchases, that has not changed even in the slightest in these bill payment industries over decades. They've remained cash heavy. By cash, I mean checks, ACH, bank transfers, et cetera. And so the problem is that we're solving is exactly that, which is, well, if there's no incentive for the recipient, the merchant, to, to, to accept credit card, maybe at least that was our thesis early on, and it's proven to be mostly true, maybe that the, 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 the customer, you and I, since we get the benefits, we get the rewards or air miles or what have you, we get the 45 days interest fee float, uh, the convenience of using credit versus cash. Since we get the benefit, maybe we are willing to pay something rather than the merchant for these payments. And so really we said, let's flip the model on its head, the model being who actually typically pays the fees specific to these industries. That's great. And that's how you guys kind of operate within the space then? Yeah. And timing wise, just in a, to double click on that, I mentioned, I said something briefly on this, which is like you said, like, oh, I'm a little skeptical, or you, you, whatever you said, like, oh, like, is it, are you the first or why, you know, why is it work? Why is it maybe so obvious, but no one's solving it. Timing is really important in this, which is until 10, 20 years ago, the credit card networks, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, et cetera, the big three, um, they still had so much new revenue and volume to get out of everyday spend, like thanks to the squares and stripes of the world is now prolific on, prolific on cards, that they really were shy, I'll use that word, pick another word if you want, hesitant perhaps, um, uh, to need to go after these other industries un until now where last mile of payments, there's not much more spend to eke out there. Um, all of these cash bill payment industries are now front and center for them. So timing is really important, like all startups, I think, uh, to have a chance of being successful. Yeah, no, and I think there's just tons of opportunity there. And, and when I say skeptical, it wasn't a negative thing towards no, no, sure. business. I was but, skeptical too. Yeah, so. yeah, I think it's important to have a healthy paranoia, like when you're entering an industry, you know, why have this, how, why has this not been solved? And yeah, I yep. think you're right. Like positioning timing is so critical and it seems like, based on what you just said, that the position and timing now makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and so kind of talk to me about the products, because you did mention you have other products now that you've released. But so the core product, you know, is, is the ability to pay for, you know, bills and, and things that wouldn't typically be traditionally paid for with the credit card. Uh, but what are some of the other features and product sets that you guys have started to release that, that, and is it an extension or are these just like spin-off products? Good question. Um, I'd say there's three, there's, there's, there's some ancillary, I'll call it features, that features are different than products to me, but there's three core products that are important for us to really um, maybe highlight. The first is what you said, which is our bread and butter, which is at its core, enabling consumers, small business owners. We're now 90% um, uh, small business by, by, by volume, but it's the same behavior. It's still the business owner or the consumer, he or she wants to put, all their bills on their credit card. That's our core product. But like any payments company, naturally, 
there's a natural network effect and there's naturally two sides, right? Because there's the payer, there's the customer sending money, you and I, let's say if we're paying our bills, but we're sending money to someone. Um, and so there's naturally a recipient. And often there's a one to many um, sort of a, a, a virality effect because typically you have more than one bill to pay. Maybe not hundreds, although a lot of people do, but maybe at least five or 10 major categories. And therefore, are the second product, if you will, that we should, we should highlight briefly is we have a product that we've built for that exact stakeholder, that stakeholder being the other side, the person receiving money who gets paid by plastic um, um, to say to them, hey, would you like to upgrade and integrate more closely to us so that you can get paid sooner? Or even maybe you can get prepaid in exchange for some fee. Or, you know, would you like to integr um, integrate to us so that you can uh, reconcile more easily to your accounting system? All these sort of additional features that are part of the product, uh, to use your word, for the recipient side. So our core product for the person sending money, our second core product for the person receiving money. And then naturally, not yet, but over time, once you control, um, in, I'll call inflows and outflows, you know, both money going out and money coming in, there's um, a lot of data and insights uh, you can uh, gather from, from that to uh, offer uh, additional products, whether it's lending or other insights to the customers. That's great. Are you guys bootstrapped or did you uh, raise some venture funding? Yeah, I always have a lot of respect for uh, uh, sometimes the few entrepreneurs that are able to uh, uh, bootstrap entirely or even, um, and if I did it again or more so when I do it again, um, uh, I'd probably be more, more bootstrapped earlier on, but listen, I started, I had no credibility. So, you know, it's sort of chicken and egg, you got to start somewhere and, and I don't regret it. We've been lucky to therefore, uh, necessarily raise a bunch of money. We've raised about 140 million across a bunch of different rounds, uh, over the last uh, six, seven years. Oh, amazing. And do you guys integrate with, um, like, for example, if you have a customer that's already using a payment processor, like a PayPal or a shop pay or anything else, is there a way for the, the, your customer to integrate and still use your product or how, what, what do those integrations look like that you guys have? Yeah. It's, you know, it's a timely question because, um, you asked about what are the products we offer. And I mentioned sort of the core two products, one for senders and the one for receivers and how they relate if I had to say a third layer on that or a product to your question is really in the last five, more so even recently, last couple of years, there's been a proliferation of who is calling themselves a FinTech and, and the number of people that are in financial services or starting to issue their own credit cards or, or virtual cards, et cetera. That's a really positive trend from our perspective because all these ecosystem players are starting to want additional capabilities for their customers. And um, one of those capabilities naturally is, they want their customers to be able to you know, run accounts payable or accounts receivable, but from their platform. So whether you're a giant like PayPal or whether you're, well, they're a giant, but they're newer, like a Shopify um, um, or much smaller down from there, all of these, 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 these players in the ecosystem seem to want um, elements of what plastic can offer. And so the third product or layer that we're starting to innovate in is really offering what we've already frankly built for our own, for our own customers and exposing that from an API perspective to these ecosystem players so they can plug and play into what we offer to benefit their customers um, mutually. That's awesome. Yeah. I think those integrations seem like they help create again, kind of the network effect that you said, but just allow so much more share uh, marketplace value and, and, and leverage so many 
um, existing platforms to then be able to plug in directly with what you're doing, which I really love. I think there's a ton of compliment to what you're doing and what it currently exists. Going back to your, your, one of your first points, which is learn how to play nice, you know? So, um, I, I think that's really cool. There are a couple of products that I'm excited about within FinTech and in Plaid, I was excited early on. They've obviously done a ton of stuff, but I think that that user experience and what they've created, you know, is just phenomenal. I've known about them for a little while um, before, you know, they, 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 they had all their funding news and everything. And then I think the company's name Astro, it's still pretty early, but they're mm-hmm. creating like a credit card, I believe for, for creators, mm-hmm. um, you know, think like, you know, your YouTube um, channel creators or, you know, Twitch gamers, uh, like whoever it is, and, and they're giving them the ability to actually create their own credit card, which then their fans can use. I don't know if you've seen any of that stuff or not, but I feel like there's some, there's some really cool trends happening right now. Are there any trends you're excited about? Um, any that you, I don't know, foresee if you had a crystal ball, tell us, you know, in, in one to five years, stuff that you think is going to be really big or hot. Um, anything, anything like that that you're looking at? It's a good question. I think, um, and, and I, there's different opinions on this, but I probably obviously have one on it, which is uh, there's a number of brands that consumers are um, loyal to uh, in terms of you know products or brands they use every day that are not traditional fintechs. Um, um, a big example, and Apple, the apples of the world, the big the big um, uh, tech companies, Apple, uh, 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 Amazon, uh, Facebook, arguably Google, certainly. Uh, four obvious examples, but there's many more. Basically, customers seem to, this was not true 10 years ago from a trust perspective, but they seem to want to um, uh, do business with or even run banking on or running their financial life within the, the brands and the products that they trust and that they love that historically were not really products or brands that would be, you know, um, would be a bank or be in FinTech. And so there's going to be an interesting, uh, I think, turning point now whether it's a compete or a partner i.e you know competing with a, the traditional chases of the cities or b of a's or does you know does does apple partner then or like how big does chime get i have different opinions on are they solving a real problem even though obviously it's a respectfully it's a massive company and they're clearly amazing and successful but you if you ask me point blank like do people really want um a different or better bank i think people complain uh, um about their banks a lot. In fact, if you look at there was this MPS survey, like banks often get the lowest, one of the lowest scores, maybe after like airlines and like telecom uh, uh, from an MPS perspective. But if you ask the same customer, um, who in your, who, um, who do you trust the most, what brands do you trust the most, or where would you trust your money? Even though they rank the bank last on like, they hate them the worst service, they still name the bank first. And so there's a juxtaposition of that with also the trend of people getting comfortable doing payments and banking and others with non-traditional uh, banks. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Interesting. Do you think that because of that data in the, um, the inverse relationship that there is more opportunity for some non-traditional banks and, and, and companies to come in and provide value where they can provide a high NPS score, but then also you know, be the loyal and trusted, uh, you know, banking partner. Is that kind of what you're saying? I think there's opportunity for sure. I question how big it can get. I, if you uh, ask me, uh, I'm a believer that over time, I, I'm a believer that the banks will just, they'll, they'll, they'll compete or they'll buy. They're often late to the game, but then they, they have more scale. 
And I, for example, you said, do I think there'll be a, a new Neil bank that, or Neil bank like player that'll have the asset base or pick another metric market cap of one of the top four banks in the U S no, I don't. Yeah. Um, what's the next, I don't know, three to five years look for plastic and, and where you want to take the company. Um, congrats on the funding. I mean, that's a, a, a very large, you know, obviously amount of, of capital you guys have raised. So I think that's really impressive to, to be able to, to pitch and raise that. It obviously means there's something there. And, and so I think it's a testament to, to the potential upside that you guys are, are, are looking to accomplish. Um, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah. I mean, maybe to, to frame it back with the lens of the products we're building, right? Our core product is, you know, many years in and, and therefore um, um, healthy and growing, but somewhat mature. This, the other side of the network, the recipient side, those receiving money from us, we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of, of merchants who get paid by us. And we're just, the, we're just in the early days of bringing those, those customers, if you, if you want to call them that, those stakeholders at least, into the product. And so I think the next few years, a lot of our focus is going to be on um, that side of the network. Now, naturally, there's a nice effect, meaning nice network effect. The more we bring those, those merchants into our product that we built for them, the more they promote us to their customers. So it naturally grows the, 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 the original core product that allows you to, to pay those merchants. But the focus from a company perspective, it's going to be heavily on the supplier side, if you will, versus the buyer side over the next few years. And then the third layer will be a big focus too, which is just as our network, as our volume grows, exposing the, the core technology we've built to the increasing number of fintechs in the ecosystem that are demanding elements and capabilities of what we are building. Yeah, very cool. Do you guys have an API as well that people can uh, plug into? We have a number of APIs, but they're, they're not um, public or open API. So it's more closed loop. Um, we're pretty selective. Part of that's because anyone who's integrating to or with us is um, uh, very, very large. So it's not for your everyday merchant. These are all large companies, somewhat custom, if you will. So that's sort of how to think about it. Okay. And how large is your team? Yeah, we are about 100 140, 145 people. Amazing. What does your day-to-day look like? I guess, especially in the midst of COVID, uh, how's that changed for you guys? And I'm sure you're, you're doing fine. And I don't know if you were remote before. I think you said that you're at your office now, so probably not remote. But uh, w- what's that look like now? Yeah, no. So we, we are fully remote now. The office is open, selective. You know, if people want to come by, pick up stuff. Or I come here every, just maybe every couple of weeks just to have an extra day or two of space to work compared to home just to mix up, uh, um, you know, mix up the day, mix up the week, because frankly, that relates to one to your question, like COVID has changed and trends. I mean, I think there's a few things, right. But that first one that I'll say is like just culturally and, and from an operating rhythm. I mean, we already were a decent chunk remote. So we had, I think some experience from that perspective under our belt, but also people I think are, should not complete um, um, remote pre COVID, even if you are fully remote, versus remote post-COVID because, or during COVID, let's call it, um, um, because all of a sudden you had people, from my observation, that were really happy working from home, love the flexibility. Um, those, those statements still seem to ring true, but there's an added huge set of negative pressure and stress of like, oh, it's different when it's just me working at home and I get the flexibility if I really want to escape to go into the office. Now I have to be, I have to be home all the time. So it's actually by definition zero flexibility in some sense, just different environment. And oh, my significant other or partner, whatever, and or kids are home and there's homeschooling and there's this stress of 
um, other things can't get out in the day and can't go can't get some normalcy. So balance is actually down dramatically, which in theory should have been the reason for working from home in the first place. So it's a very different um, st stressful cultural impact for not everyone, but for definitely the plurality from my perspective of employees. And so therefore you have to manage differently. You have to find uh, different ways and structures to communicate uh, and offer support, whatever that means. And so that's definitely a whole new factor for COVID um, uh, conditions. And then the second one, there's a few more, but I'll just mention one more is more strategically, there's a, this balance as a startup of sh short-term versus long-term planning and trade-offs, which you always have, but COVID can force, I think, a company to be too myopic and short-sighted um, because of the severity of how it hit. And, and again, listen, we all have to plan for uh, um, you know, getting through the short-term because definitionally, we don't make it short-term, there's no long-term, so why plan for long-term? But if you have the luxury, which we did, frankly, and privilege, which not everyone did, we had the luxury and privilege of knowing that we were gonna be around long-term no matter how severe COVID was. So knowing that, I think there was, sometimes I had to remind myself, yes, we have to plan some adjustments short-term, but let's not over-course correct because then we won't come through the long-term at the same slope or rate of growth that we otherwise could. So that's a little bit of a strategic comment on COVID impact. Yeah, that's interesting. Was it um, you were able to take that long-term outlook and perspective because the runway and because of the, the funding that you guys have raised? Exactly. So again, with that variable in mind, um, that, was, that, that was a competitive advantage that had I not reminded myself and my team not reminded me, my exec team that is, we could have lost sight of that advantage. You know, yes, we would have made some corrections and, you know, which we did and all this stuff. You have to plan differently, but we, that was, that was something that I think was an important reminder. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I don't know if a lot of people have thought through that. Um, and I think from a strategic standpoint, obviously it's really important. It's hard too, like you said, cause there's so many unknown variables. So um, are, are you able to share your post money valuation or is that too much information? Uh, not, not something we share share publicly, but uh, you know, okay. high hundreds of millions directionally. Yeah. Okay. And then I think your point with um, with employee uh, balance was an interesting one. I think I've heard that in a bunch of different ways, but framed in the way you framed it was really unique. And I think that it, that is a really important point and tough to keep morale in a in a situation like this. Are, are there any tips that you have that has worked well for you guys? Are you doing like Fridays off? Are you doing, you know, uh, community zoom calls? Like, like what, yeah. what's, what's working that you actually would recommend? It's a good question. I think um, in the beginning, we probably, in my opinion, tried almost, we tried to add too many new things, which was fine to start like little, you know, more additional little happy hours or lunch virtual cafes or, you know, um, virtual yogas, whatever, right? And that's fine. And the people I think um, initially took advantage of those a lot because it was COVID in March, April was so, March was like, I remember it was like, I remember it was like the 95th day of March, as I called it. Like it was like the longest <laughs> March ever, right? But, yeah. but then as we got into the new norm of like, oh, this is lasting, okay. People get in their own routines, reality sets in. Um, you know, what I found is the biggest one is just work and, and, and home balance because that barrier is non-existent. So finding ways to force that, whether it's, you know, forcing people to schedule uh, block lunch, their calendars, whether it's, you know, um, let's say forcing, um, having, we have, I think we call it first half, sorry, first Friday's half days where it's just, you know, again, people can take PTO uh, outside that in any, in any capacity, but it's sort of a hey, company wide uh, afternoon Fridays, anytime zone, like do not, 
engage at work at all, right? So there's some normalcy from a balanced perspective because like if people are miserable at home, like they're not gonna be effective at work. And that, that was true pre-COVID and it's true during COVID, you just, it's true in different ways. Yeah, yeah, you definitely hear, or at least the, some of the feedback I've heard is, it seems like we're just working all the time now because you know people yeah. don't know how to balance while they're at home and work. And so, yeah, I think the, the um, not forced, but you know, whatever the term was that you used to, to stay offline. Strongly encouraged, right? Yeah, strongly encouraged. I think that disconnect is really important. Um, Elliot, where can people find you and, and find the company online? Yeah, sure. Um, very simple, just plastic.com. And that's plastic with a Q at the end. So P-L-A-S-T-I-Q.com. Awesome. And the uh, last question I have for you, and I really appreciate you coming on. And this has been great chatting. Um, the perspectives really, really appreciated. So I, I think you have unique insights into, into different um, ideologies. So I enjoyed the chat. But um, in terms of your legacy, whether that's business or life, um, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? Wow. It's a, yeah, it's a big question. Uh, or at least, you know, I, I don't know if I have a very specific answer, but I can speak in, in thematics, which is like, again, this is my first, that's my, yeah, my first job. It's my first real company. I had our companies, none of them really work. Right. But um, even the common patterns in those are, or, or the common patterns in like plastic, what I've noticed that I really enjoy the most. And so I don't know that therefore compels me to feel like the legacy I want to leave, if you will. I, I, every business and every, every common factor of plastic is all around people. Right. And so, um, you know, if you ask me like, am I most excited about, mm, I don't know, the revenues or the, uh, the valuation, those are, or the money we raised all interesting metrics, more so vanity metrics. Yes. They're nice. And they lead to maybe outcomes over time, but impact wise, it's much more exciting and, and inspiring. I find as like uh, a business leader to feel like, okay, well, whose lives have I impacted from like mm, a career perspective or, um, you know, taking the customer lens, which small businesses were able to get through uh, uh, COVID because of, or at least in part because of plastic. Those, if you can find a metric for those, those are much more inspiring. And I think for whatever I do next or in the future in 10 years or, or whatever, um, I think that'll be a similar metric and it'll probably be a different industry, et cetera. But every industry is, touches people and employs people. And um, I think if you can find a way to feel like whatever you've done, it's, you know, you've helped people um uh in some form whatever that means for you that's pretty exciting i find it pretty rewarding yeah that's awesome and i like uh i always like to hear because i ask this question a lot so i like to hear when when the legacy and the impact ties directly back to what you're working on and building i feel like that is like you know one of the most uh for me that spells success i feel like when you're doing something you're passionate about that provides a big impact and that's the company that you're building, I, I think that's the most successful thing you can do. So uh, I congratulate you guys. Uh, it would be interesting to see, you know, what happens in the next, you know, one to five years for you. So I, I hope things continue to, to grow. And, and I hope uh, we as consumers continue to, to hear more about your company. So um, thanks awesome. again for joining. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Action and Ambition with your host, Andrew Metal. Please leave a review and subscribe and go to andrewmetal.com for all the exclusive lessons, behind-the-scenes footage, and video content of the show. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube at Action and Ambition, and we'll see you on the next episode.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.